This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The facts that will be presented are true. Scientists representing the world's foremost research centers took part in the examination of the evidence. And welcome to Paranormal Guys. I'm Chris. I'm Chad. And I have nothing special to say for this one. Why not? I brain fart. Didn't think about it, did no, you? No, brain cloud. Oh. Just like Tom Hanks. Brain cloud? <laughs> Joe versus Volcano? Oh. One of the most classic early 90s movies ever made. Poor Joe. Thought he was dying. Had a brain cloud. Yeah. And then Abe Vigodas wanted to throw him in a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> well... Well, Chris, on that note, <laughs> yes, what's happening? You know, same old, same old. Uh, every week, <laughs> same old. You need to branch out, sir. Oh, do I? Mm-hmm. Well, you're the one that needs to get out more. That's true. Aren't the uh, kids getting ready to start school soon? They did. Well, one did. Oh, yeah. My oldest started mm-hmm. Thursday. The other one got arrested. Well, not yet. Oh. We just haven't, have, just haven't caught her. <laughs> they don't let her use the kid scissors yet, do they? No, not yet. Oh, good. And if they do, they're those weird plastic ones that don't really cut anything as much as they just kind of mangle it. That's true. Nothing, nothing to make you uh, rethink humanity like waiting in the uh, pick-up or drop-off line at school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I completely understand. All right. Uh-huh. Well, Chad, we have any news today? We do. <laughs> Moving hey, right along. Thinking of your kids, let's talk about something else that's slow. Snails. Now, hey. Hey. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, you know, your kids are great until they try to kill each other. Well. <laughs> yeah. You know, snails use just two brain cells to make decisions, according to Sky News. Just two. Two. Mm-hmm. Very similar to you. Well, sometimes. It says that scientists discover how just two neurons can drive complex decision-making in mollusks on the hunt for food. Scientists have discovered that snails solve complex decisions using just two brain cells in a discovery that could help engineers develop energy-efficient robots. Robots? Robots. Snail bots. They Hmm. get things done. They're just real slow. You don't really have to worry about being a Terminator-like issue with them, then. We've come for Siri Connor. And you're already gone. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> By attaching electrodes to the brain circuitry of freshwater snails that were on the hunt for food, researchers learned that mollusks use only two neurons when they find a tasty little bit of lettuce. Mmm. 
Scientists discovered that snails used controller and motivator neurons to feedback information to each other to decide whether to eat or not. The first brain cell lets it know it has discovered food, and the second cell decided whether it was hungry. God, I wish I had that sort of system set up and help a lot. <laughs> Is it food? Is it not? Who cares? Am I hungry? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> but if no food was in front of the snail, this part of the brain circuitry shuts down, saving energy. University of Sussex professor George Kimenez, who led the research, said, What goes on in our brains when we make complex behavioral decisions and carry them out is poorly understood. Our study reveals for the first time how just two neurons can create a mechanism in an animal's brain which drives the optimacies, complex decision-making tasks. It also shows how this system helps to manage how much energy they use once they have made a decision. Our findings can help scientists to identify other core neuronal systems which underline similar decision-making processes. This will eventually help us design the brains of robots based on the principle of using the fewest possible components necessary to perform complex tasks. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's only the beginning, Chris. First it's snail bots, then worm bots, then, I don't know, silverfish bots. <laughs> Centipede bots. Bedbug bots. Ooh. Uh, that's bad. Yeah, bedbug bots. That Insecticons were cooler. Speaking of parenting, like we were a second ago. Oh, really? <laughs> and school and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I have a good story here for you. Uh, this is uh, by Wayne Parker from the Patton Herald. Wow. Hypno-parenting. Hypnotism as a new parenting style. Really? You will do my bidding. Blah, 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 blah. Over centuries, people have been baffled about the nature of hypnosis and how actually it works, and modern science has little to explain how hypnotism actually happens. Although a person under hypnosis can be observed, but there is no clear explanation of the hypnotic state that a person undergoes. Hypnotism is widely practiced by a number of people to reduce stress, anxiety, and pain, according to a report on National Graphic. However, it remains struggling for mainstream public acceptance, so much so that using hypnotism as a new parenting style is negatively viewed by some. This is called hypno-parenting. Just recently, a famous professional hypnotist claimed that she can actually use her powers of persuasion in transforming even the worst-behaved kids to act like angels. The hell you say. Hmm. I wonder what her phone number is. Hmm. Uh, hypnosis and parenting is a natural combination. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, <laughs> so you say. Hypnotist and mother of three, Lisa Muckenberg, said as cited on New York Post, If we learn hypnoparenting, we learn how to hypnotize our children to be cooperative, peaceful, have containment, and have good study habits because they have focus and have more resilience out there in the world, she further added. And they're good little automaton droids. Mind control. Nevertheless, hypnoparenting aid does not come really cheap. For an hour's session, Mockenberg charges clients $125. Well, of course, then you're going to say it's the greatest thing ever. You know her real name is Mindbender, right? <laughs> For more than 23 years now, Mockenberg claims to have hypnotized over a 1,000 kids. Mockenberg, 56, from Malibu, California, said that even her husband and kids are quite often under the spell. Mm, the plot thickens. <laughs> You will do my bidding. 
Anyway, I hypnotize my children and my husband to do things for my benefit all the time. Oh, my God. We have a household to run. Many times, I exert influence so my children are able to get their chores done. So this house runs efficiently, she added. Her children think that her mind games can be a bit much to take. It could get a little crazy when she tries to hypnotize us at every single possible situation that she can. <laughs> it could get a little overbearing. She gets in your head, Jake. Nay, Mockenberg's 19-year-old son said, 19. Why, why, what's she got problems with a 19-year-old? She still has to hypnotize him. Holy crap, he'll go out and buy a gun. Her husband, Brian, says he does not actually mind her hypnotizing him. He's already drank the Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I see no downside to having Lisa hypnotize family members, but maybe that's because she's hypnotized me to think so. Mm. Wow. But Mockenberg asserted that she had never used her hypnotic skills to help parents compel their children to do things they should not be doing in the first place. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. For Mockenberg, hypnoparenting might just be the solution to put an end to conflicts as well as nurture children to become good adults in their later lives. Mother wills it to be so. Mother says we must fold our clothes. We must. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Wow. Let me you, tell you, you know something. why the husband says he doesn't mind. Because it's easier to say he doesn't mind. <laughs> you know, when he says he minds, she tries to hypnotize him. You will obey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you will do the dishes. You will wash the clothes. Yes, dear. Whatever you say, dear. Yeah. Whatever you say. You know, granted, mm -hmm. my oldest is just about to turn seven. And the youngest is three and a half-ish. Is she? Yeah. Four, Already? Four in November. Wow. I mean, I'm a newer parent, I guess. Yeah. But what's happened to people just kind of taking care of their kids and doing what they normally just, like how kids have been raised for millions and millions of years? When I was a kid, we got beat. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, I'll get a switch. Well, and that, that's, uh, you know, this is probably going to cause some heat. If we're ever going to start getting emails from, from listeners, here mm. we go, Chad, you ready? What? <clears throat> I think that's what's, what's wrong with a lot of kids these days. Okay, no. you got, you know, some good old whoopings. Mm -hmm. I got a couple. I think we're normal. I don't think, we, we don't have therapy. We don't, no permanent lasting barks. I mean, we, we're, we're fine. But nowadays you have kids that are so entitled to every single thing they do because they've never been disciplined. I'm not going to disagree. I'm not going to disagree at all. Well, okay. Soapbox dismounted. Okay. You feel better now? <laughs> no. Remember, send your email specifically to Chris. <laughs> it's fine. I, I'm just saying people need to take responsibility for their kids instead of other making other people or other things take responsibility for well, their kids. I can't tell you how many times I've been out in public and the parents aren't disciplining the kids. No, they, they ignore them. Yeah. It's uh, like, go do whatever you want. As long as you're not getting police involved, I don't care. I'm not going to talk about a grill enclosure or nothing. I'm just going to sit back, let you talk, and then <laughs> oh, we go to the next story. Send your emails to Chad <laughs> at, at uh, pongpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> well, would you like to hear something about some more craziness? Yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about something else. You know, I recently <laughs> saw... Before we get kicked off, the interwebs. Yeah, the interwebs. No kidding. Well, let's talk about something that seems to still be a hot button right now. The Pokemon Go game. 
Pokemon Go game opens people up to the spirit world and teaches children witchcraft. I knew it. That's from Before It's News by Robert Breaker. The new Pokemon Go game is more than just a game. It's a portal to another world. For according to an ex-occultist, it's using electronic devices to allow people to peer into the spirit world. Mm. And what most likely are not just animation monsters, but actual real demons or devils. <laughs> Missionary evangelist Robert Breaker in the following video shows how the new popular Pokemon Go game takes people along occultic ley lines in the earth while connecting them with evil spirit beings. <laughs> it further teaches children how to control such beings and indoctrinates them into occult practices, preparing them for a future life of witchcraft. Witchcraft. What you, yeah, what do you think about that one? Well, I think what you need to hear, Chad, is uh, the actual video for it. Oh, really? It, it, it's even better. So wow. here here you go. Here, here's a little snippet of Mr. Breaker. All right, let's take a look. But when it came out, I, I said, wonder what that is, and I asked some people, and this was several years ago, and they said, well, po Pokemon is all about a person having a little friend who's a monster. And uh, he, he talks to that monster, and he builds that monster up and makes him stronger. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound very Christian. <laughs> a person playing with a little monster? And I guess it's hatched from an egg or something, and they talk to it, and they help it to win in battle and fight with it and things like this. And from a Christian perspective, my thought was, well, that sounds like witchcraft. You see, witchcraft is a person talking to demons, making deals with demons, and asking demons to do something for them through a contract, and then they do something for the demon. And so it sounded like to me, and I always thought, well, that sounds like preparing kids for uh, later times to where they learn witchcraft and talk to demons. That's so nutty, you might need an EpiPen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Remember what sunflower seeds did to you? Oh, yeah! I can't have the old sunflower seeds. I'm not an animal. So yeah, there you go. There's uh, there's the Pokemon uh, portal to hell. Well, everything's an angle. Maybe they should uh, instead of Pokemon, they should call them like Pokey Deem. I guess Pocket Demons. Pocket Demon. They probably already have that. Gotta conjure them all. Pokey Demons. You should be a TV evangelist. I see pokey demons. Ooh, pokey demons! It's coming after me. Oh, they're evil, and they want to get inside of my pokey balls, my pokey orifice, my pokey face. Welcome to a very special paranormal, guys. <laughs> well, in this episode, we the episode where Chad finally loses it. Well, lithium. You know, speaking of uh, going crazy, Chad, I have something that. Might actually make you go crazy here. Really? Yeah. When I'll be going off the rails. On a crazy train? Exactly. Choo-choo. Ka-choo. Apparently there is a uh, new perfume out. Yes? I don't know if you're going to want to sniff that good because... Uh -oh. Uh, oh, de Comet. Space perfume. Smells like cat pee. Oh, I thought it would be a like a kitchen cleanser, but all right. Oh. This is from Sky News. Mm -hmm. It says the scent might not be suitable for a big date. It smells of rotten eggs, cat urine, and bitter almonds. Mm -mm. Mm. Reminds me of an old casserole recipe. 
A perfume which smells like the surface of a comet has been created by a British firm. Samples of the aroma of 67P Churamoff Gerasminko, as sniffed by as sniffed by the Philae Lander on the Rosetta mission, will be dished out at an event in London next week. But you might not want to splash it on before a big date, because it smells like rotten eggs, cat urine, and bitter almonds. The new scientist Jacob Aaron who had a sneak preview of the scent, wrote, I almost feel the smell as a physical presence inside my skull. (laughs) Wow. The full heft of 67P's bouquet hit me in the face. Surprisingly, it's not actually as foul as my first impression led me to believe. Somehow, a few floral notes are now coming through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because your freaking senses have been burned. The scent was commissioned by Colin Snodgrass from the Open University in Milton Keynes and was created by the Aroma Company. The smell comes from the presence of hydrogen sulfide, ammonia, and hydrogen cyanide. But as some of those are poisonous, the creators had to improvise to create the scent. Oh, taking out half the fun. The compounds were detected in readings from the Philae lander, which landed on the comet in November 2014, more than a decade after it departed Earth. The European Space Agency vehicle partially completed some experiments, but lost power because of its solar-driven batteries that were in the shade. The probe woke up in June as the comet approached the sun, giving scientists hope that the lander could complete some experiments. But in February, the German Aerospace Center, ZDLA, said Philae is likely to be covered in dust and too cold to operate. That happens. Yeah. It's shrunk. (laughs) Samples of the comet's scent are due to be handed out at the Royal Society Summer Exhibition, which starts next week in London. Your times may vary depending on how old that story was. I think that would be a good uh, thing to put on the old Christmas list. I think it would too. Cat piss stinker. And you know, I think we could save some money. I don't really think we need to buy it because, you know, something like that's got to be overpriced because they probably didn't make a lot of it. It's from some, like, highbrow company. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got cats. I mean, there's probably the corner of your couch that smells exactly like it. Probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we've got cats. What else did it say? Did it smell like bitter bitter almonds? I mean, almonds. Can you get some cyanide? Floral smell something. Can Can you get some cyanide? I don't know. Talk to your wife about that. I'll cut this part out. You can tell me. <laughs> no, I can't get cyanide. Oh, you're winking at me. So okay, you got uh, cyanide. So, I mean, we can whip it together our own Christmas presents. Bring in a bottle. Just put a Here's, little wax it's, on the it's top. It's a comet. It smells like a comet. Mm-hmm. It's special. <laughs> it smells like space fun. Although, if cyanide, can can you absorb cyanide through your skin? Absolutely. Oh. Never mind then. Yeah. Hmm. I'm not that careful. <laughs> well, I didn't mean for us making it. I'm sure we'd be careful. I mean... Making no. it, I'm saying who you give it to. It's like you know, if if you couldn't absorb it through your skin, and it's like, hey, you, you know, it's your fault. You drank the perfume. You see how much thought I go into doing the podcast. I don't think I could do like chemical stuff either. Yeah, next to none. Yeah, pretty much. No, Chad, you're. I mean, at least twenty five percent of no. the podcast. Well, I think you're generous. But don't sell you. yourself short. Thank you. You're the one people tune in for. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, I am popular in Europe. Well, Europeans. Remember, like I I don't talk about where 
Our I didn't listeners say any come from anymore. Specific place in Europe, just Europe. Well, so now all of a sudden we get no listeners in Europe. Mm-hmm. Chad Smith World Tour. Chad Smith World Tour. So I'm already kicked out. Well, I mean, they need to. Who's going to do your sound? You know who? You know they always have to have like a headliner with Chris Caffrey. I'm hurt. You'll be fine. You're right, Miss Comet. Maybe maybe you should go by yourself. <laughs> fine. <laughs> oh, but anyway, on tonight's show, Chad, uh-huh. what uh, what do we have coming up? Oh, we've got some strange, unusual things that possibly you haven't heard of before. What would you What would you say they would be, Chris? Well, I think you might call them Abby. Abby normal. <laughs> Abby normal paranormal. Oh, that's exciting. That's right. So coming up after the break, we're going to talk about some paranormal stories that you may, but probably haven't heard of. Well, excellent. Welcome back. Hello, hello. And like we mentioned before the break, tonight we are talking about a little thing uh, I like to call the abnormal paranormal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stories that are quite paranormal, but you may or may not have heard about them. Yes, precisely. to uh, kick that off, Chad, do you have one? I do. Let's go. Have you ever heard of the Manigishi? No. Wasn't that a movie? On the run? Manigishi? No. No. My bad. Sad, sad, Mr. Caffrey. Kim Cattrall. Now, this one comes to us from cryptidswikia.com. The Manigishi is a cryptid and myth of the Cree natives of Canada. The eh? Cree? Yes. Mm. According to the Cree, there are two kinds of people. Normal people like you and like you. <laughs> Normal people like Yes, like me. <laughs> That's a stretch. And the miniature people like the Manigishi. They say that the Manigishi is a machi- yeah, they say that the Manigishi is a mischievous trickster. It is reported as a small, human-like entity with slender arms and legs, with each hand sporting six fingers each. The thing that makes this cryptid unique is the large head, big eyes, and the lack of a nose or mouth. They are an aquatic-based cryptid and spend most of their time in dams in the river. This cryptid has a very peculiar method of breathing. It absorbs the oxygen through the water through its skin, Notably, this is similar to one method of how amphibians breathe. Another description says that the Manigishi is a very hairy being with a narrow face and the whine of a dragonfly. Hmm. Mm. The Manigishi are adept crafters and use stone as their primary medium. They have been known to carve pictographs into stone. They're also found often within rock dwellings such as caves, typically by rivers and streams. Another description says the Manigishi is very hairy, being with a narrow face and the whine of a dragonfly. Why is it in there twice? I don't know. Because it's so nice. Hmm. Had to do it twice. After colonization of the Americas, strange creatures were sighted by the early settlers. 
Though unaware of the Cree legend, settlers began encountering a creature seemingly identical, such as the Woods Devil and the Wimpus. I'll gladly be Tuesday <laughs> for uh, Managishi today. That is, I mean, I would watch out. You How do you feel about that one? I, you mess with the Cree? You tadpole-headed freak? Somewhere along the line, Thanos is going to come down. Yeah, nerd. No, that one's pretty good. Yeah. The Managishi. The Managishi. Popular at parties. <laughs> are they? Yeah, they are. <laughs> drink and drink and drink. How do they drink, Chad, with no mouth? Through their skin, you idiot. You just throw You know what? Oh. I'm appalled by oh. your ignorance. The Managishi obviously just soak in the alcohol, mm. get drunk, go back to their cave. Probably Managishi all over the cave walls. So, Chad, have you ever heard of the Roman dodecahedra? Yeah, I think one time a guy had to go get stitches. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, this one's from ancientorigins.net. The Roman dodecahedra is a small, hollow object, object made of bronze or, more rarely, stone, with a geometrical shape that has 12 flat faces. Each face is a pentagon, a five-sided shape. The Roman dodecahedra are also embellished with a series of knobs on each corner point of the pentagon, and the pentagon faces, in most cases, contain circular holes in them. More than 200 years after they were first discovered, researchers are no closer to understanding the origin and function of this mysterious object. The Roman dodecahedra date from the 2nd or 3rd centuries AD, and typical range from 4 centimeters to 11 centimeters in size. To date, more than 100 of these artifacts have been found across Great Britain, Belgium, Germany, France, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Austria, Switzerland, and Hungary. The great mystery is, how do they work and what do they do? Unfortunately, there is no documentation or notes about them from the time of their creation, so the function of these dodecahedra has not been determined. Nevertheless, many theories and speculations have been put forward over the centuries, Candlestick holders, wax was in, found inside one example, dice, survey instruments, devices for determining the optimal sewage depth for winter grain, gauges to calibrate water pipes or standard army bases, staff or scepter decorations, a toy to throw and catch on a stick, poor, stick toy. poor kids, <laughs> or a simple geometric sculpture. Among these speculations, some deserve attention. One of the more accepted theories is that the Roman dodecahedron was used as a measuring device, more precisely as a range-measuring object on the battlefield. The hypothesis is that the dodecahedron was used for calculating the trajectories of projectiles. This could explain the different size, sized holes in the pentagrams. A similar theory involves dodecahedra as a surveying and leveling device. However, neither of these theories have been supported by any proof, and exactly how the dodecahedron could be used for these purposes has not been fully explained. I'm pretty sure they probably used it to determine if magic missile was going to work. Yeah, I mean, could be. Ancient Roman D&D. &D. That's right. Romans and dragons. Could be. I think so. Because I think you need a 12-sided die, don't you? Uh, I don't know. That's what they tell me. Don't lie. Mm. You know. I never drew up a character. Dungeon Master. <laughs> I could see you doing that. No. You'd be one of those Dungeon Masters that people just hated. There'd be math involved. No, you're all dead. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what you wrote. You're dead. Because I don't like you. You fell into a ravine and a gelatinous glob <laughs> ate your face. Oh. Eat it. 
Your character is now dead. No, and you can't bring him back because I said you couldn't. I'm God here. I'm the dungeon master. <laughs> You're nothing, peasant. See, see how easily you fell into that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, sad. Never did any of those things. <clears throat> uh huh. That's just the stuff that used to go on in my head when I worked retail. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You'll only get this sale item if I say you'll get this sale item. I don't care if you have a voucher. I'll just say someone else screwed up. You need to roll a 12-sided and an 8-sided die. Someone made a mistake and it was not me. Leave these premises! (laughs) Or I shall cast you out! Foul demon! No, wait a minute. (laughs) Yes, sir. I think you're moving from Dungeon Master to, like... Something else. Yeah, it's probably on a Monty Python movie. Maybe you know. wouldn't make a good dungeon master because I think you <laughs> might just go a little crazy. Probably. A little power hungry. A little bit. Now we might know the downfall of the Roman Empire. <laughs> That's right. There were several battles that were fought over this game you created with these little dice, you fool. I have plus 12 agility. What do you mean I couldn't slay the dragon? He screamed plus 12, so I stabbed him through the face. He didn't dodge anything. <laughs> War averted. Wow. Oh, so. Yes. Roman dodecahedra. Mm-hmm. Unexplained mystery. <laughs> do, you have an, do you have another one there for us, Chad? I do. The story <laughs> might remind you of Luke Skywalker a little bit. Because it's whiny? No. Oh. Because there's a severed hand. <gasps> severed hand! Dun, dun, dun. The severed hand of St. John Kimball. This is from unexplainable.net. Are you ready? I am. In the world of holy relics, there are several that have made their mark on the world, including the acclaimed and much often sought after Holy Grail. Wow. The Grail. And splinters from the true cross at the crucifixion of Jesus. Splinter was from the sewer. Mm. (laughs) Turtles. Well, there are also stranger relics that are said to have a long history and several legends surrounding them. One of these is the severed hand of St. John Kimball. The hand belonged to a priest named... John Kimball. Coincidence? In the mid to late 16th century. And strangely <laughs> enough, even after the hundreds of years of passing, the severed hand has been preserved and remains as a sacred relic, according to the Catholic Church. In 1679, Kimball was executed and would be canonized in 1970 when the final miracle attributed to him came to pass. Perhaps the most interesting miracle attributed to the man was when in 1995 a priest first became ill and then subsequently succumbed to a comatose state. Hearing tales of the incredible feats of healing that had at one time been attributed to the saint, the priest in charge of the church holding St. John Kimball's sacred hand was called in, and he brought it to the hospital where the ill priest was slowly dying. (laughs) Sir, sir, you can't bring that in here. What do you have in the bag? Are they like flowers or candy? Severed hand. Sort of like candy. Kind of. And candy. <laughs> it was a good year for St. Francis Xavier's church, as they had only recently seen an increase in attendance as the phone call came in on July 15th. Christopher Jenkins was saddened by the news of his friend's approaching death. Then he called a close friend of his father, I think this is Tumulty, if I'm saying this right, and asked him to help with the opening of the casket containing the hand so they could protect it on their journey to the hospital. Together, the two stood over the priest as he slumbered near death, and the two men took the hand in theirs and placed it on their sick friend's forehead. Oh. I don't know which one was sick in this case. Ew. As they stood (laughs) over him and prayed after wiping the hand across his brow, Ah. the two couldn't help but wonder if it would be enough to help him. 
As they prayed, however, they noticed movement from the prone man. No. He was moving his lips. Shortly afterward, his eyes opened and Get it he, off. he regained consciousness. <laughs> no, the doctors were astounded. It had only been a matter of hours since the application of the sacred object to his head before he awoke. As they struggled for an explanation, the two priests, Father Jenkin and Father Tumulty, returned it to its protected box and thanked the saint for his assistance. So are sacred objects capable of healing the sick? Was it just a coincidence that as they prayed over him, the priest who had been expected to die was able to awaken? Shortly after the miraculous intervention, he was able to not only open his eyes and speak, but also to walk. He went on to live a rich and full life, always remembering the time when he was saved from death's door by the hand of a dead man. Though he may be sure it was a miracle, to the rest of us it will remain unexplainable. Why is in a coma? Somebody started bringing, like, hundred-year-old dead body parts and throwing them on me, I think I'd probably wake up, too. <laughs> what the? <laughs> I, wonder if that's what the, I wonder if that's the first thing he said when he uh, came out of the coma. <laughs> so, what do you think about that? No. He's <laughs> a priest going around and <laughs> putting dead hands on people. I don't know. If you like it, put a severed hand on it. Oh, and then it'll be fine. I don't know. Just, just a severed hand. <laughs> and it know. has its own little casket they carry it around in. Mm -hmm. I've got a Shogun Godzilla that's like that. I wonder if its hand has healing power. Bring out the severed hand. <laughs> Help. I don't know. Mm. It's handy. Come on. What? <laughs> Come on, it's a good story. No, uh, oh, a good story. Okay. Yeah, it was a good story. There you go. I've found out with my kids, when they do something you don't like, mm -hmm. sometimes if you just ignore it, it goes away faster. Because if you, if you react at all, whether it's positive or negative, it just feeds them. Well. Do that. Sure. Whatever makes you feel better. Well, Chad. Yes. I'm going to see your severed hand of some guy. Uh-huh. And raise it with a story from Mother Russia. Oh, well, dos vidonia, comrade. We will talk of the Brasno Dragon. Why do you sound like you're German all of a sudden? I think it's all the same. You sure? <laughs> Russians and Germans Russians are the same. Germans. Wow, somebody. We're going to lose some listeners. I don't think we have either in any of those countries, so it's fine. Mm -hmm. This show gets translated in 14 different languages, Chris. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. What are they? Well, I don't know. They're whatever you can do a stupid accent for. Oh, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not really in the actual language. You know that. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's like two guys. Ago. It's somebody reading it's, it's it and they're going, going, "Okay, let's hello, see." Hello, my name is Chris. We have and to the, do my this name one is Chad. in Italian, so they they get their best Mario and Luigi voice. Hello, going. my name is Chris, uh, and, and I'm a Chad. <laughs> and this is about the sale of the hand. You're a listener to paranormal guys. Uh, that's right. Wow, we need to alienate whole groups of people. Yeah, I know. But anyway, the Brosno Dragon. Mm -hmm. From comes from Cryptids Wikia. Well, the Brosno Dragon or Brosnaya, Brosnaya, is a name applied to a Russian lake monster. Many people treat the existence of it skeptically and still say the creature may be a mutant beaver or a giant pike of a hundred or a hundred and fifty years. <laughs> Others conjecture that groups of wild boars and elks cross the lake from time to time. Wow, because it's easy to confuse a group of wild boar to a lake monster mm -hmm. or even mutant beavers there are some more scientific hypotheses concerning brosnaya 
One of them is a gas version saying that when hydrogen sulfide goes up from the lake bottom, it makes water boil up. This boiling in its turn resembles a dragon's head. But the amount of hydrogen sulfide must be considerable to produce this effect. Other versions say that there is a volcano in Lake Brosno that makes ejections on the water's surface from time to time. It is well known that there are several fractures at the bottom of the lake. The depth and the direction of the fractures cannot be defined. It is not ruled out that the volcano crater is inside of one of these fractures. This explains why the volcano, if it, if it actually exists, has not been discovered. Fishermen say that the underwater world of Lake Brosno has a structure of several levels. From time to time, burbots and yellow perch can be found in the lake. For example, herring can be found in a lake in Pino District in the Tavura region. Some consider it strange that sea fish may live in the lake at all. Smelt shoals can be found in Lake Brosno as well. The phenomenon of Brosnaya can be explained from the physical point of view. Huge smelt shoals are reflected on the water surface through refraction of light and produces the effect of a huge reptile head. Physicists say that any mirage appears in hot weather. Indeed, witnesses say that they came across Brosnaya in summer. However, the origin of the rumors of this strange monster remain a mystery. Wow. I think my favorite explanation is the crack gas. Crack gas? Mm-hmm. Crack gas. I mean, it... But remember, there has to be a lot of it for it to have an effect. Oh, I mean, I have crack gas pretty often, so why not? <laughs> Can of black beans. <laughs> it's crack gas monster. I still like mutant beaver. I mean, you're crazy, and it's silly if you say there's a lake monster, but you can explain it away. It's like, oh no, it's a mutant beaver. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> that's as plausible. Well, so Russia's Nessie. Mm -hmm. Pretty interesting, though. Yeah, very strange. Lake monsters are everywhere. Mm. Anywhere there's a lake. Or a large pond. <laughs> or puddle. I think that's what we should find. We should start investigating ponds and see if we can start finding pond monsters. We could. Take your kids. We'll go there and look around for a while. You give them a scuba mask. Yeah, there you go. Go look around. Check this pond out. It's not that big. No. Or deep. You'll be fine. Snorkel. Pond monster. <laughs> Oh, do you have another one for us, Chad? I sure do, Chris. This one covers some of your favorite things. Holes. Oh. Yeah, you like that? Miles-long <laughs> band of mysterious and unexplained holes in Pisco Valley, Peru. This is from ancientorigins.net. A mysterious site spans the landscape of Pisco Valley, Peru, on the same plateau where the famous Nazca lines are found. Thousands of holes have been carved into rock, creating a band that stretches further than a mile. It is unknown who carved these holes or why they were created, but it is clear that the vast creation must have been a painstaking job, requiring many hours of manpower. The band of holes in Pisco Valley, Peru, literally contains thousands of holes described as man-sized. These holes are approximately a meter wide and one to two meters deep. There's a man-sized hole. That's true. Some of the <laughs> holes are quite shallow, giving the appearance that they had not yet been completed. They were carved into a band approximately 8 to 10 holes wide and a span a mile across a rugged mountain terrain. <laughs> giggle, giggle. On the next episode of Ancient Outhouses. The number of holes is estimated to be around 6,900. 
around. <laughs> around. <laughs> Plus or minus. Some of the holes are lined up with precision, while others appear more staggered. It is estimated that it took decades to chip away the stone to reveal the band of holes, but it is unknown as why the task is undertaken. Today's inhabitants of the area do not know how the holes were created, why they were created, or who created them. There have not been any artifacts uncovered to reveal any further information about the holes. Some believe that because the holes are man-sized, that they may be some sort of vertical grave intended for burying the dead. However, this has not been substantiated by the recovery of any bones, artifacts, or other human remains to indicate a burial site. Some archaeologists have theorized that the holes were dug to store grain and other essentials. Considering the quantity of holes and the depth of each hole, it is likely that any civilization would have been able to store a great volume of grain. However, this theory has been criticized. Storage containers for grain could have been built with much more ease than the effort required to carve the holes in the rock. For that reason, it is unlikely that any inhabitant would take on the arduous task of carving the holes, and there would be a better way to accomplish their storage goals. While it's unknown who created the holes, they are clearly man-made construction. A few miles to the east of the band of holes, satellite imagery shows what appears to be the remnants of an ancient civilization. Although the area has not been identified as the location of a particular civilization, it closely resembles the ancient ruins of Machu Picchu. Gesundheit. Thank you. The mystery of who created the holes and for what purpose may be solved by further exploring what may be the remnants of a nearby ancient settlement. For other clues about the holes have been uncovered, the band of holes covers a mile of rocky mountain terrain with well-defined beginning and ending points. The ending point has brought forth some speculation due to its odd appearance. The band abruptly comes to an end near an area of land that has an unnaturally darkened color. Some have said that the darkened area appears to resemble an area that has been destroyed by an explosion. There have been alternative theories that the holes were created by extraterrestrial beings, perhaps ancient aliens who visited Earth and left behind markings to show where they had been. Clearly an image as striking as the band of holes in Pisco Valley, Peru, is bound to bring forth many questions as to who created the holes and why. We can be certain that such a labor-intensive creation must have held some sort of purpose for those creating it. Although that purpose has left behind no indication of what it may have been, not a single hair or tooth or artifact has been found to date to shed light upon this mysterious band, leaving it to be labeled as one of the unsolved mysteries of the world. So, mysterious holes... Yes. Not too far from the Nazca lines. I'm going with uh, ancient uh, outhouses. Think so? Mm. I'm going to say you're probably right. I'm surprised they don't uh, point that out. You know, I mean, they whip out every theory they can think of, except, hey, maybe this is where they, you know, it was awfully flat out here. There's no trees. wonder where they pooped. Why would they just randomly have a bunch of holes in that one mile area and everybody just wandered out and... Because, I mean, one guy has to walk all the way to the end. That's got to suck. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Your theory's crap. Did ancient aliens use this as an ancient latrine? This appears to be some sort of feces <laughs> receptacle. <laughs> Tonight on a very special ancient aliens. <laughs> I'm going to say it's where they aged cheese. Fair enough. Right? <laughs> Why not? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I like how they put out all these theories of, like, they could have been used as burial tubes, but, I mean, there's no bones. We didn't bury anybody. <laughs> we, they built them all, then for whatever reason, they didn't use them. You know what it was? They didn't keep the stuff they dug out to fill back over the top. Yeah, they're like, oh, son of a... Mother <laughs> 
Cuss bucket. So what do you get, Steve? <laughs> Steve, mm-hmm. what'd you do with the stuff at? Yeah. I thought you guys were done with it. Just threw it away. You dumped it over that cliff over there. Well, Chris. Yes, Chad. You got something else. I do to finish up our wonderful night of <laughs> abnormal paranormal. Yes, this has been an abnormal evening. I have my favorite that I came across. Ooh, and what is that? The Blackbird of Chernobyl. Oh, <laughs> really? Blackbird singing in the meltdown. Take this reactor and learn to fly. All okay. your life, mm-hmm. you will be glowing. You know, there's people that are closing out their apps right now. Well, you know what? <laughs> what? <laughs> they close your apps. <laughs> Oh, beginning in early April of 1986, the people in and around the little-known Chernobyl nuclear power plant began to experience a series of strange events revolving around sightings of a mysterious creature described as a large, dark, and headless man with gigantic wings and piercing red eyes. Really? Yes. People affected by this phenomena experienced horrific nightmares, threatening phone calls, and first-hand encounters with the winged beast, which became known as the Blackbird of Chernobyl. Does he sound familiar, Chad? Yes, he does. Reports of these strange happenings continued to increase until the morning of April 26, 1986, when at 1.23 a.m., Reactor 4 of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant suffered a catastrophic steam explosion that resulted in a fire which caused a series of additional explosions followed by a nuclear meltdown. The power plant, located near Pripyat, Ukraine in the Soviet Union, spewed a plume of radioactive fallout which drifted over parts of the Western Soviet Union, Eastern and Western Europe, Scandinavia, the UK, Ireland, and Eastern North America. Large areas of Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia were badly contaminated, resulting in the evacuation and resettlement of over 336,000 people. The Chernobyl disaster, as the incident was dubbed, is considered the worst accident ever in the history of nuclear power. Following the meltdown and subsequent explosions and fires, Soviet helicopters were dispatched to the scene. Equipped with special firefighting gear, these helicopters circled the plant dropping clay, sand, lead, and other extinguishing chemicals on the burning facility. Most of the fire was put out by 5 a.m. with the fire burning within Reactor 4 continuing to blaze for several hours after. The firefighters who responded were unaware of the nature of the fire, assuming that it was simply an electrical fire, and received massive overdoses of radiation, leading to many of their deaths, including Lieutenant Vladimir Pravik, who died on May 9, 1986. The workers who survived the initial blast and fire, but would later die of radiation poisoning, claim to have witnessed what has been described as a large black bird-like creature with a 20-foot wingspan gliding through the swirling plumes of irradiated smoke pouring from the reactor. No further sightings of the Black Bird of Chernobyl were were reported after the Chernobyl disaster, leaving researchers to speculate just what haunted the workers of the plant during the days leading up to the disaster. The most commonly accepted theory suggests that the Blackbird of Chernobyl may have been the same creature spotted in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, leading up to the collapse of the Silver Bridge on December 15, 1968. Investigators have suggested that the appearance of this creature is an omen of disasters to come in the area in which it shows itself. The physical description of both the Blackbird of Chernobyl and the Mothman 
the creatures sighted in West Virginia, are very similar, and the reports of nightmares and threatening phone calls leading up to these disasters are shared in both cases. A second, less accepted theory suggests that the black bird of Chernobyl was nothing more than the misidentification of the black stork, an endangered species endemic to southern Eurasia. The black stork stands nearly three feet tall and has a wingspan of nearly six feet. This theory, however, fails to take into account the menacing phone calls and the disturbing nightmares. Also, the physical description given by the majority of eyewitnesses who actually saw the Blackbird of Chernobyl does not in any way match the physical appearance of the black stork. And it didn't have any babies. Well. Both the Blackbird of Chernobyl and the Mothman have not been sighted since their respective disasters, leaving us with many unanswered questions. All we can do is wait for the beast to show itself again and give us a chance to figure out just what it may be. Unfortunately, it would appear that, that for this creature to show up again, we will have to anticipate some form of disaster in the area it has selected to appear. So, the Mothman... He gets around. ...has shown up in Russia. Yes. And they call him the Blackbird. Duh. That is very strange coincidence. It is kind of weird that... Looks a lot alike, and they're working some weird phone calls, mm-hmm. some nightmares, and a, and a uh, disaster. And Richard Gere. So what do you think? Is it the same thing? Sounds like it's the same thing. So, I, know you, I know you like the Mothman. Mothman's pretty cool. Yeah. Probably the third best cryptid there is. Third best? Third best. Who's the first? I mean, Chupacabra. Oh, Chupa. So you're going with Chupacabra. Who's the second? Jersey Devil. Jersey Devil, mm-hmm. and then Mothman. Then Mothman. That's your three stooges of cryptids that you've gone with. And Mothman is uh, is Curly. Oh, yeah. When he, get, <laughs> when he gets swapped out for a couple others, like Shem. Yeah, he changes a little bit. They yeah. call him the same, but... <laughs> but he's really not. They call him Mothman Joe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Jersey Devil! Blackbird Joe. <laughs> no, but that is kind of weird. I, what, it makes you wonder, though, if it is the same critter, which... Chances mm-hmm. are it is. What's he do in between disasters? Vacations in Bermuda. Go hang. <laughs> yeah. Coincidence. You know where the triangle's at. There's stranger things on heaven and earth. And you've not just seen They've one. They've not seen squat. <laughs> I always loved that show. Mm-hmm. You just saw one. No, I didn't, old man. I didn't, didn't see, see anything. anything. Finding nothing. <laughs> what was that? Creature X? or? Uh, I think so. Yeah. So, yes. hopefully, you know, we've uh, educated some people at a few little paranormal things that you may not have ever heard of. feel like we've thrown a few random things out there for you to chew on a little bit. I mean, very random. Mm-hmm. It's a sampler. It is. It's just a little it's sampler the, of strangeness. It's the poo-poo platter of paranormal. Yeah, poo-poo is right. Well, that was Strange and Unusual, Chris. And, you know, to look into a little more Strange and Unusual, you can always go to our website, and what is that? It's uh, paronormalguys.com. What are we going to find there? Well, that is uh, your one-stop shop for all things paranormal, guys, Chad. Oh, well, <laughs> isn't that fantastic? That's right. You can listen to the show there. You can see links to some of the sites where we get our news stories. Uh, you can email us. If you are going to email us, Chad, what are the two things you would send us an email for that would make you happy? Well, one would be stories. Right. I do love some listener stories. I'd like to get enough together to do a show. Now, if you've got a good story, we can either arrange where you can call in and we'll record you telling that story and play it. We can. Or 
<laughs> we can. Oh. Or you can uh, send it in to us and we'll read it on the air. We've just got to get enough together, but we, we'd like to do that. And the other thing that's really exciting. Super duper exciting. Even. It is. Free paranormal guys decals. <laughs> All you have to do is send us your name and address. You don't have to send a self-addressed stamped envelope. Just email us that information. Says, I want some stickers. And if you send in your <laughs> name and address through the form on the website, we pay postage, cost you nothing, and you'll have some fancy, super awesome paranormal guys decals that you can put on your laptop, your car, your friend's car, your friend's laptop, your coworker's car, random buildings, your boss's car. Sure. Whatever you want to do with them. We're not responsible for anything that's illegal, but please. <laughs> legal, legal disclaimers. We would like to give you some of these amazing decals. They look great, very durable. They will hold up in the weather. How long, I don't know, but they'll hold up in the weather from what we've seen so far. <laughs> At least one rain At storm. At least a couple of rains, some car washes, spit on them, whatever. You should uh, you should think about going into the uh, paid commercial business. As seen or, on TV? Yeah. Yeah. I even want one of our decals now, and I've already got one. Yeah, it's because you're greedy. What What else, Chris? What else goes on with the website? I don't know. I mean, all I can think about now is getting one of those decals. Well, if you do feel so inclined, <laughs> you have a little spare change floating around, you can make a donation to the show. We do pay for everything out of pocket ourselves. So if you just like us to continue, maybe help us out with things like web fees. That's right. And like I did say last show, pretty soon the website is going to start go- undergoing a retooling of sorts. But that does not mean you can't listen to the show. There will be a redirect link right there that takes you to our SoundCloud page where the show's hosted. Uh, so never, you know, don't worry about not being able to listen to the show. It will be there, as always. Yeah, it's not going away. And uh, what about the music for the show, Chris? That's right, Chad. All of the music for Paranormal Guys is by William Blanchard. He's a very talented artist, and you can go to his page on soundclick.com to purchase a lot of his music. You can preview a lot of his music on his SoundCloud page and also find him on Facebook. Uh, Give him a listen. We'd really appreciate it. Awesome. Good music. Good stuff. So I think that uh, draws another episode of Paranormal Guys to a very well-deserved close, Chad. (laughs) Well-deserved. True that. And as always, Chad, what the masses love. Mm -hmm. Have a Paranormal Weeks. chicken soup for the soul sucking harpy <laughs> i think harper collins put that out <laughs> i think so